could go any which direction because I think we all felt its pain sometimes. Divorce, fractures of family, uh, friendships turned cold that refused to be healed for whatever reason. Children abandoned the faith. Challenges to our own mental health leading to uh, issues like anxiety and depression. A loss of work can set someone on a path of uselessness and hopelessness, uh, even suicidal thoughts for some. The sudden loss of a loved one crushes one's soul. How about our own physical bodies that break down, robbing us of joy and purpose? And so sadness, sadly, is everywhere. And even followers of Jesus also suffer under its sadness. None of us are immune to it. So the question is, does God care about our sadness? Does he care when we feel, when our hearts are broken? And can God handle it when we have you know, raging words of protest and frustration? Or does God say, just get your act together and put on a happy face? You know, it's hard to argue against the message of positivity, right? Just put a smile on. I like positive people. I know you like positive people. They're refreshing. But the problem with positivity as a solution for life's issues is that it fails to recognize the reality of our true human condition. And it tends to be kind of like sweep everything under the rug kind of philosophy of life. And in a sense, we're afraid to face it. Uh, Author Mark Elwood wrote an article in the Bloomberg uh, Business Magazine entitled, Trying to stay optimistic is doing more harm than good. And so what he was trying to do, he was trying to push back what he calls the cult of positivity. And so he's targeting the business community, but it's really for anyone. And he observes that a push to always be upbeat in the workplace or even at home resulted in experience he calls F-O-N-O, the fear of a negative outlook. So I think what he's trying to say, the mindset of one that responds to all human anxiety with uncompromising optimism. This is what he's pushing against. And so Alwyn explains that the origins of this positivity cult for this generation might have come in the 1990s when a psychologist by the name of Martin Seligman suggested that pessimism is a learned behavior. Therefore, it can and should be avoided. And he said this led to this best-selling book, and others, of course, by Rhonda Byron, The Secret. You've probably heard of that book before. And it was popularized by Oprah Winfrey. And basically, the claim of the book is the power of positive thinking would provide whatever you want, be it a baby or a Mercedes-Benz. 
So the trick is simply to be positive, to cure life's sorrows. So as you know, uh, I've been going through the Psalms the last couple Sundays. And when we go through the Psalms, we recognize immediately that it does not put a happy face on life's problems to cheer us up. Instead, the Psalms actually furnish us with words that help us name our sorrows. Its honest words actually help us put a finger on the pain that we feel. So it's like a good friend coming alongside you and saying, I get your feeling. I get your sadness. And so the Psalms, uh, these type of Psalms are called Lament Psalms. And incredibly, did you know that Lament Psalms make up one-third of the Psalms? That's like 50 of them. 50 of the 150 are all Lament Psalms. And so they used to be sung, but they are, you know, they're poems, they're prayers that give voice to our confused and inexpressible emotions. And incredibly, they're all done in the presence of God, whom sometimes some psalmists feel like he has abandoned them. But God doesn't push away those who are in sorrow. In fact, the psalms are an invitation into God's presence, even with our tears, our warts, and all. So let me uh, read you a few examples here. I mean, they're everywhere, but here's a few. Listen to my words, Lord, consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Psalm 25, 16 to 17. The lament psalm gives voice to the voiceless. Words that cannot be expressed are expressed in these psalms, helping us to pray. Now, I'm sure you heard about this on July 4th. A gunman intentionally and randomly gunned down spectators at an Independence Day parade near Uh, Chicago, killing, I think, six people, wounding 30-some people. I can't imagine the level of pain for these families that lost loved ones. To lose someone in that way, right? Such a random, evil, sinister way. Positivity and sticking a happy face on this as you can understand, just doesn't cut it, right? You just can't say to these people, well, just go to McDonald's, have a happy meal, put a smile on. In fact, it adds more pain because it actually fails to acknowledge people's deep sorrow. So the original voices of these psalms, whether it be King David or the sons of Korah and many others, they can now be prayed as your own lament. Giving voice to your own sorrow, your own frustrations and agony. 
Turn to me, be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. And so it gives voice to the way you might feel. You know, if you're a journaler, um, you know, you can express these things in your own words. But these psalms are a guide for you. They help you. They give you permission. Now, let me just show you kind of like a, a, a typical lament psalm. And uh, Psalm 13 kind of represents a typical pattern. And the basic pattern is complaint, a petition or request, and then there's a resolution. Uh, so let me just kind of read through this psalm. First one and two is the complaint part. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So whatever situation it may be, it's going on for a long time. And so his main complaint, this is going on far too long, Lord. How long? And then the petition. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. And so the petition is, Lord, answer my plea in giving reasons why. And then finally the resolution, verses 5 to 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Now, one of the first things that we notice in this lament psalm is that the psalmist's complaints are made directly to God. The psalm isn't bashing in a wall. He's not berating people. His complaints are made directly to God. Now, is this even allowed? Well, apparently. I mean, isn't it sound a little irreverent to you? Yet here we are. It seems to be divinely approved. God can handle it. In fact, he wants us to call out to him in our deepest pain. How long, how long will you forget me forever? I mean, that's this bare bones, honest prayer to God. I mean, the psalmist feels that God has abandoned him and he tells himself. Psalm 3.1, O oh Lord, how many are my foes? And what do they complain about? They can be, you know, about God. They can be about the misery of about, you know, our present situation or about our enemies or our neighbors. Psalm 38, 3, the psalmist cries, There is no health in my bones because of my sin. And so there is a whole variety of concerns, including one's own health. There is nothing that isn't kept from God. In the book of Psalms. In fact, the lament Psalms feels like almost like an interrogation of God. Psalm 42, 23. Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Now, how many times do you feel like God just seems to have checked out? Right? Your prayers are bouncing against the ceiling and getting no further and you don't hear anything back. And this is how the psalmist feels. 
This is interesting because, you know, Psalm 121, verse 4, the psalmist confesses that the Lord is one who neither slumbers nor sleeps, but watches over them. So is this a contradiction? Well, it sounds like it, but it really isn't. The psalmist is simply expressing how he feels. He feels as as if God doesn't answer back. He feels as if God has fallen asleep. But it but is this the way that we should really, you know, talk to our creator God in heaven? Well, according to the psalmist, sometimes there's a place for expressing our sadness and even our anger directly to God. Psalm 35, 22, the psalmist cries, do not be silent. We've all had days where it feels like God is silent, and this is how he's expressing it. But lament prayers are not the attacks of an atheist. They are for people of faith in Jesus. And all these prayers don't ignore God or abandon God. In fact, they're directly to God and for God. But it's gutsy honesty. David Taylor said, this is the wrestling out of faith in the presence of God. Now, what about these petitions and requests? The petitions include a lot of things. Uh, They include a request for healing, deliverance, justice, provision, protection, confession of sins and forgiveness, Uh, Psalm 79.9 says this, Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Psalm 6.2-3. Have mercy, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, how long, how long? Remember the nation you purchased long ago. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord. Psalm 74, 2 and also 18. Now let me kind of highlight on this last part about remembering. A request for God to remember is a very common request. You know, all of us want people to remember us and appreciate us and not forget us, right? That's just kind of who we are. And the psalmist also doesn't want God to forget how he once rescued them. And his desire is for God to do it again. He also wants God to remember how his enemy mocked the Lord, and he really wants God to do justice about his enemies. Lord, you remember how the enemy mocked you and probably mocked them as a nation. Um, Will you do something about that? Will you bring justice? And so the heart of so many lament prayers is not to be forgotten in moments of sadness when they feel abandoned. Now, about 10 years ago, in fact, exactly 10 years ago, I attended my 30th high school reunion. And by chance, next weekend, Cheryl and I are going to Seattle for, our, for my 40th high school reunion. And uh, so, but anyway, 10 years ago, I remember getting you know, to the place we met and all our classmates were there and we were greeting each other. 
But I remember greeting one of my classmates, and uh, who I not only went to high school with, but also a few years in elementary school. So I figured she would remember me. And she looked at me and says, are you Patrick? I was a touch annoyed. Right? I mean, you know that feeling, right? Come on. That's my cousin, you know? And yeah, I had a cousin in my own class, but she thought I was my cousin. How could she forget me? So the question is, why was I annoyed? Probably because I wanted to be remembered and appreciated. If she would have said, Daniel, good to see you, that would have been totally different, right? You know, after all, I remembered her. Why can't she remember me? But no, I'm Patrick. So I was annoyed. So when people remember your name, doesn't it feel good? Right? It feels awesome. In the same way, we want God to remember us, especially when we're lonely, sad, or going through a difficult journey. But the truth is, do you know that God, through Jesus Christ, knows our feelings of not being remembered? In Psalm 22, verse 1, the psalmist cries out, O God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of anguish? But as Jesus hung from the cross, agonizing in pain, he felt exactly as this psalm expresses. He felt forsaken. He felt not remembered. And so what does he do? He actually prays this exact same psalm. Psalm 22.1. And he cries out. He actually prays it out in Aramaic. But this is the English. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt forsaken just as we do sometimes. And his pain and feelings of rejection were real. Jesus, of course, is God in human flesh. This means that God knows our feelings of being forgotten. In suffering and finally his death, Jesus experienced all of our sadness and feelings of abandonment, including separation from God. God knows our feelings have not been remembered. His very life gives voice to our sadness and feeling of rejection. And so Jesus and death and resurrection is really a message of love that says, I know your suffering and your pain. I know your tears and your sadness. Whatever the reasons may be, I have experienced it all. And so God came to us in love and forgiveness. We are not forgotten. He came for us. We are remembered by the one who has experienced all of our sadness. So in Ecclesiastes 12, the teacher counsels the young. When life seems so meaningless, this is one thing we must do. He says this. He counsels the youth. Look, we understand, he says, why life seems so meaningless and pointless. But one thing you must do, he says, remember God as creator. Because in Jesus Christ, he has not forgotten you in sadness. 
So even though the psalmist cries out, even though we cry out sometimes that, God, God, where are you? In faith, we must remember we are not forgotten. John said, Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus was a realist. He says, you will have trouble. But he also says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Pain, suffering, and sadness is never the last word for those who remember Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In the resolution part of the psalm, um, the psalmist may confess his trust in the Lord, which in Psalm 13 leads to praise and thanksgiving and a promise to listen and obey. Uh, Psalm 13, 5 to 6 says this, But I trust in your unfailing love. My My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. For he has been good to me. So you will notice that even as this psalmist prays these types of prayers, it's actually a sign of active faith. I mean, he's being real with his emotions toward God. But it's not passive faith. Passive faith doesn't even enter praying. He doesn't pray at all. That is hiding from God. This instead, lament prayer, is actually courageous faith. It is intense. It is honest. Honest grief. But it leads the psalmist, it leads you finally to release and say, Lord, I trust you. This is how I feel, but I choose to trust you. I am going to thank you. I am going to continue praising you despite what I'm facing. Even as the soul is burning with emotion and sadness, whether it be anxiety or anger or loneliness, the resolution for the psalmist is a a faith that is active, that keeps pushing through in spite of how he feels. Now, there's a few other observations about how these psalms um, resolve uh, resolve themselves, the resolution, excuse me. A couple points. Lament psalms sometimes lead to silence. So, for example, this is Psalm 39, 7-9. It says, But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. And then the more famous one, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. You know, silence can be scary. Um it may not feel like a resolution. Silence feels like, you know, nothing's happening. Uh, When we are sad or restless, the still, quiet voice of God cannot be easily heard. And so there is a place for silence in our lives. 
Silence, stillness, actually gives, gives yourself a chance to hear God as we pray and as we reflect on God's word together. So let's not be afraid of silence. Psalm 55, 17 says, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. When we are still before God, as we cry out to him, know that he hears our voice. So sometimes when we are sad, we can get lost in our own thoughts, right? And our thoughts get busy. Um, Everyone's different, but some people, when they're upset, they just go into overdrive, right? They work harder, they do more, they're trying to distract themselves. But the psalmist seems to say there is a place for silence. Slow down, be still, and seek to hear God's voice. It is a form of resolution that we must learn to adhere to in our lives. Now, finally, the Psalms of a Lament also lead us to the dust for resurrection. Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, the last part says, We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Well, what's this about brought down to the dust? Well, dust is an expression that symbolizes this place of misery and exhaustion. Right? It's really not a you know, happy image at all. And it's kind of the lowest of the low. Right? I've, I'm come down to the dust. And it's almost like you're, you're exhausted, you're, you're down and out, you're on the ground practically. But incredibly, the lament psalm gives voice to the deepest of sorrows. Yet even here in the dust, what we might call rock bottom, the window opens for the faithful. Remember, God created us from the dust, right? From the earth of the ground. In other words, it's actually the place of God's greatest creativity. From the ground, from the dust, he created mankind. He made us. And when we experience lowliness, it rescues us actually from the wrong-headed idea that our happiness is something we can produce ourselves. In other words, in this position of humility and being humbled, it is actually an opportunity to understand that you cannot produce your own happiness. And sometimes what we need in our lives is to be stripped down to our own self-sufficiency, our own talents and abilities, even though they are, in a sense, good. But it turns instead to our own self-sufficiency, to God's sufficiency, to God's sovereignty, as Job learned, and his compassion. Psalm 103, 13 to 14 says, As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. 
for he knows how we are made. He remembers that we are dust. So when we experience brokenness and turn to the loving God, this is when we can experience the resurrection power of Jesus. So when we turn from self-sufficiency to Jesus, we are dying to ourselves and being resurrected with Christ. God gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. That's all part of the resurrection. And so now even in the dust, the lowliest of lows, with the gift of the Spirit, which is the empowering presence of God, he now can renew the soul that has humbled themselves before God, giving us his resurrection hope no matter what we face. And he pours into us, pours into our brokenness and our sadness, his resurrection hope, and gives to us his caring hands as if to lift us up from the dust again. Now, you'll remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Luke's version, but he said in Luke 6, 21, Blessed are you who weep now. Which, when you think of it, seems like a big contradiction, right? You're crying, you're bawling, you're in a mess. Um, tears speak of someone's brokenness, right? How could, how could someone be blessed, Right? when they're in shambles. It sounds so backwards. But Jesus means tears in sadness is never the end for those who have trust in Jesus. When we have trust in Jesus, you're actually lucky. Even in your tears. A person who is completely impoverished at the bottom of the bottom... If they have Jesus, they are so blessed. Even when they find themselves in the dust, if they are in Jesus, they ought to consider themselves lucky and blessed. That's what Jesus is trying to say. He's, He's turning the world upside down. In Jesus, you are blessed. Now, this doesn't mean that on this side of heaven, everything's going to be resolved, right? And I think we understand that. But we are given absolute hope. That through faith in Jesus, he gives us the freedom to embrace God's love, even as we cry now. There may never be a clear resolution on earth for certain things. Many believers have died in prison, never gotten out, for example. Scars of abuse may remain till the day we die. What we do on earth may look humanly unsuccessful. But many of us realize that the full resurrection of the power of Christ comes to those who persevere in faith to the end. Romans 8, Paul says this, All creation groans, and it's true, right? All creation groans. With creation, we groan too, waiting for the day of full liberation of God's children. Sometimes the best benefit of our laments 
is that it reminds us that Jesus Christ has purchased for us a new world, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where you'll never hear a lament again. I mean, can you believe that, right? Someday, for people of faith in Jesus, in the new heaven, new earth, there will be no more tears of ang- agony. There will never be a lament again. That is our future hope. But by leaving us these prayers of sadness in our Bibles, I think the Holy Spirit is giving you and me permission to enter into an intimate relationship with God to be completely honest with him. And that's something we have to learn, right? Because it doesn't come naturally to us. At least it doesn't come naturally to me, right? And so God gifts us with this gift of lament where he gives you permission to be sad before him and bring it before him. And he uses this gift to actually help us and to rescue us from our sorrow. He comes somehow redeems those tears and he feeds life a new invigoration of your soul even in the midst of sadness. When the tears come down the cheeks, when you express yourself to God that way, he just slips in like the wind and he warms you and he encourages you. And he loves you. And he accepts your prayer of lament. And so you and I need to learn that it's okay to be honest with God. And it's a path, it's a journey that we need to take and learn along the way. So let's pray. Lord, I guess I want to say thank you for even these lament psalms, which maybe, if not understood, sound um, like a contradiction. Um, But may it be a reminder to us, Lord, that you give your children permission to have the kind of walk with you that is just so blunt honest. It is not a lack of faith, but it's actually active faith. It's being real with who we are, being honest with how we feel, and bringing it before you. And so I pray that you'll teach us in new and, brand, in new and refreshing ways a kind of prayer that is honest with you, that can feed us and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I invite you to stand as we sing this.